Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And I'm going to start this episode a little bit differently. We're taking a break from true crime to talk about, quite frankly, for me to say a a huge thank you to people. I told you on past episodes about my rescue dog, Gracie, being diagnosed with cancer and my roommate, Blake, who very sweetly, even after I told him not to, decided (laughs) to go behind my back on the day he was leaving the country so I couldn't scold him for this. But he started a GoFundMe to offset the cost of her treatments. And I know so many of our listeners found out about this podcast through my Instagram, through Annie's Instagram, and probably follow Blake as well and maybe saw it. And because so many of the donations were anonymous, I wish I could just write a thank you letter, a personal thank you letter to everyone, but I don't have access to that information. So I'm just going to assume that some of you might be listening today. So I want to start off by saying a huge thank you. So many, like I said, donations were anonymous, so I can't do this personally one by one as much as I wish to. But one million thank yous. I take a lot of pride in my independence, maybe to a fault, and my ability to grin and bear it when bad things kind of fall into my lap. But the truth is this help for Gracie's treatments has taken a huge weight off my shoulders. Goodness sakes, I have a podcast. I'm not normally rendered speechless, but I truly have been this week by just how generous people are. And I want to say a huge thank you for loving on Gracie, for supporting me and her. And when she has overcome this cancer and we have many years together, I know that I have you guys to thank for that. So please just know that it is your generous hearts that are touching me. And I am incredibly, incredibly thankful. I keep getting choked up about this. I'm going to try not to right now. But this was also a really great personal lesson that it's okay to accept help, (laughs) y'all. no matter what the circumstance is, and that there are so many caring people in this world ready to jump in and help out someone, even someone that they don't know besides a voice on this podcast or someone that is on Instagram. And it's hard sometimes because we have a true crime podcast. We research some of the worst people, right? And it's hard to get away from the bad news always being reported on from every news station. It sounds like the world is burning down around us, but this was a beautiful reminder that there's a lot of goodness still out there. So I just, I thank you. I thank you a million, a million times. But I'm going to collect myself. I do (laughs) want to touch because I'm getting choked up yet again. I've done a lot of crying this week, but good crying. Very, very thankful. I want to touch on some recent news that hopefully will leave our California listeners with a little sense of peace and ability to sleep at night. Last week, there was a suspect, Wesley Brownlee, who was 43. He was arrested in suspicion of being the serial killer who had killed six men and wounded one woman in Stockton, California. It has been a while. I'm not even sure during my lifetime if I remember a serial killer being talked about or a search for a serial killer being on the news. Annie, can you think of any? None, which is why this was like breaking news, all the headlines. It's just absolutely crazy because even though we talk about this stuff, it's hard not to think that, oh, it was in the past. It was, you know, in the 70s and the 60s. As Annie told us on a last episode, they think that there's, you know, serial killers out there and it would make sense for them to be out there. It's just with our advanced DNA and research and ability to kind of solve these crimes before they become serial killers. It was surprising to say the very least to hear this reported on the news. I think it's pretty clear the police got the right man, but of course they can't say that. So he will remain in prison until he is tried. The police were surveilling him based on tips from the public and found him dressed in black with a mask around his neck, 
carrying a firearm, and in a quote by police chief Stanley McFadden, it was clear he was, quote, out hunting, end quote. (sighs) They're currently looking into if Brownlee was connected to two other Chicago murders. So as the story develops, Annie, who runs our Case of the Sunday Scaries Instagram page, will keep you guys updated if they find out that those cases are connected. And Annie has some good news, some finally, underlined, finally, exclamation point, exclamation (laughs) point, exclamation point, true crime news as well. Yeah. Paul Flores, who is 44 years old, has finally been convicted of the 1996 first degree murder of Kristen Smart, who was the 19-year-old Cal Poly student who went missing. And everyone has been focusing on the Flores family. They've went all this time with, you know, no... uh, accountability for their actions. There's a really great podcast called Your Own Backyard by Chris Lambert, and he single-handedly opened up the case again. So kudos to him. That's some amazing investigatory work that I could only dream of doing one day as an armchair detective. But finally, some closure. As of now, he has not been sentenced. As of the time of this recording, that date isn't even set for trial, but we'll keep everyone um, updated on our Instagram handle, like Elise said. Also to note, they still have not found a body, which is why I think they are leading into the father, who if you have listened to that podcast, it is clear that his family members have been working overtime to cover up his murder of, of Kristen. And it is so sad, but they have not convicted his father, at least at the time of this recording, because it'd be very hard to prove that they he helped his son hide the body without the body in itself. So hopefully there'll be some developments, maybe some sort of plea bargain before. Well, as of this time, his father was found not guilty of withholding evidence or helping with the body. But yeah, hopefully they can find that body one day and then. Well, and like I said, maybe in a plea bargain before sentencing, he'll divulge where her body is. That's at least what we can hope. That would be the dream. Yeah. I have no idea how to transition (laughs) to let you guys know what I'm going to be talking about today. We hinted at it past episodes. I stumbled across this while doing research for a past episode. And to say when I read about this particular method of torture, my skin felt like it was crawling with bugs. Every like hair from my neck like that. Oh, it, it. I cannot explain to you how my body felt while reading about this, but did that stop me from going down a Google rabbit hole? (laughs) No. Of course not. (laughs) In fact, I think I stopped researching the podcast I was working on and went on a two-hour, you know, just dive right down into Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole, and here we are. I love that you gave me a little warning to not be eating during this episode (laughs) because I was going to have some toast, and I'm like, ah, I'm good. (laughs) We'll wait and see what Elise has up her sleeve. Well, that's also for the listeners because, quite frankly, no one wants to hear chewing on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. But secondly, this episode is gross, to say the least. You all know by now that I love learning about history. I usually try to find some historical tangent to go on. So today I'm going to play Professor Elise and go through seven of the worst, or at least in my opinion, methods of torture throughout history. I've put them in order from. I don't even know how to word this because they're all (laughs) so terrible. I guess they're in order from terrible to the worst horrific sadistic acts ever. And after listening to this episode, I want to hear from the Scary Squad if they would keep this same order or if maybe they think that one is worse than I did. They're all bad, though. Let's just be honest. (laughs) With that said, let's dive into my picks for the worst methods of torture throughout history and the sadistic ways people concocted to bring horrific pain to others. 
I chose what I thought were the worst based on prolonged pain and mental warfare that they would cause. I would just want to point out, I did leave out some alarming medieval torture methods because a fair amount of them, like the pair of anguish and Judas's cradle, would inflict not only a horrible amount of pain, but had a huge sexual component to them. And frankly, I didn't know how I'd even talk about them on this episode without being wildly triggering to some of our listeners. And it just adds a sadistic craziness I really didn't want to discuss. So fair warning, like I told Annie, if you are listening to this on your lunch break, this is an episode you don't want to be eating. You may lose your lunch real quick. Push the sandwich away. <laughs> so put your food away. If you're eating, choose another time to listen to this because here we go. First up on our list of who the hell thought this up torture methods is the wheel. It is also known as the execution wheel or Catherine's wheel. The prisoner's naked body would be tied to a large spoked wheel. Now, when I say wheel, you might be picturing like I did, the wheel being turned, crushing bones as the body part met the floor as that wheel was turned. But this was a stationary wheel laid on its side and the spokes were used to tie the prisoner's hands and feet to render them completely helpless. Then the executioner would publicly begin the torture, breaking the bones of the feet and legs and working slowly their way up the body. The prisoner would be brought as close to death by beating as they possibly could be, while onlookers cheered this on. Again, we talked about would you go to the execution during the Salem witch trials. You're going to find that most of the stuff that I talk about today all happens in public. So there's that physical pain, right? But also just the shame and embarrassment and public harassment because these people were cheering this on. And let's be honest, there's situations that I probably would stand there and cheer it on too. Like you touch my kids, mm -hmm. if I had kids, Agree. I'm going to cheer on them doing the worst to you. So in a way I get it, but this is huge crowds that have no personal relation to this convict that are cheering and egging this on. Ugh, it's kind of gross to think about. I wonder how many times family members attended these. The family members of the person that yeah. was hurt or... That was hurt. Like, or the person who's being tortured. I don't know if I could go to that if it was a family oh, member God, of mine. No. God, no. Yeah, you're starting off strong. This is number seven. <laughs> this <laughs> like, is the bottom of the list, oh, Annie. So <laughs> just buckle in, folks. Then the maimed prisoner would be repositioned on the wheel so that their heels of their broken legs came together at the back of their neck. What we now refer to as hog tying, but just in a really extreme version because their broken bones would allow for the body to be contorted in a way that, quite frankly, unless you're in Circus Soleil, you could never muster. Uh-uh. They were left this way in a public area to slowly bleed to death, just put on public display for everyone to watch. Oh my gosh. I hope that at this point they were their body was in shock and they weren't feeling anything, but that might be wishful thinking. Number six on the list, flaying, which if you're like me and you're from Alaska, you think of fishes. Also, I know it's fish, but fishes is more fun to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Agree. This is exactly what it sounds like. Prisoners were tied to a stake while slowly their skin and tissue was removed. Often, executioners started with the face and head so that it would the prisoner would feel this as much as possible before going unconscious from shock. If the prisoner survived the skinning, 
They would eventually succumb to infections from the exposed tissue and nerves. I cannot imagine the amount of pain. Oh, and that tap that be your whole face. So all of your nerves, all of your mus- muscle tissue from head to toe is exposed. And in fact, flaying continued into medieval times as a way to execute traitors. But a Chinese emperor took it to another level when he ordered the flaying of 5,000 women in 1396. There's a lot of speculation of why he did this or what the women were tried for, but I couldn't find a definite answer. But it is true that 5,000 women were flayed in 1396, which sounds like a long time ago, but that's a lot of women. And I don't care what the time period is. That is crazy. That's like hard for me to even imagine. 5,000. I mean, obviously, we know that women have had it hard throughout history, but that might take the cake. What did 5,000 women do? Oh, it's crazy. Number five on this list, impalement. Oh, (laughs) I I can't get any worse. And I'm like, oh, my hands are sweating. Yeah, I'm in a robe right now as we record this because I knew that I either was going to be sweating or just itchy all over. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I'm going to wait to put on my work clothes until (laughs) after this episode is done. But coming in again at number five is impalement. This one ties into our spooky season content because it was a favorite torture method of the original Dracula. No, not the vampire that we all think of now, but Vlad III, or as he's also known as, Vlad the Impaler, or Vlad the Dracula. He ordered and carried out over 20,000 impalements to prisoners. 20. Oh my gosh. I had no idea it was that high. 20,000? I mean, that is, grew up in Alaska, I've said that. My town is probably 3,500. So that is four of my towns, if I'm doing the math correctly, and if I'm not, don't correct me, that's true. <laughs> Let me just live in this moment of ignorance. That is like four or five, I guess, actually. <laughs> okay, I corrected myself. Five of my towns, all the people in it being impaled. Nope. Yeah, I can't picture 20,000. I couldn't picture 5,000 of the women, let alone we're quadrupling that to 20,000. Oh, it's wow. No wonder he got the name Dracula, right? It's a lot of blood. So Dracula it is. This torture and execution would not be as swift as it may seem when you think of the word impalement. A prisoner would have a large stake usually made of wood or metal inserted into their anus and it would be aggressively pushed through the body, avoiding vital organs and emerging usually in the shoulder or neck. I wish you guys could see Andy's face right now. I need a moment. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough because it didn't hit any vital organs. They would just be then hanging there by a stake, slowly dying. The longest recorded death by impalement took eight days. No way. Eight. I was thinking like eight hours. Right. They would either have internal bleeding, of course, right? Or die of starvation or dehydration before their injury actually took them. Or I wonder if just stress on your body, like, I feel like that could definitely send you over the edge, you know, just all that adrenaline running through you and just knowing what's happening and that you're about to die. I think that's like the scariest thing to me. These people knew they were going to die. Well, and that's like I said, how I really ranked this list was a lot of times how long you could possibly live because you know what's coming and you just have to, well, in this case, hang there on a stick. Oh, it's a shish kebab. I don't think I can ever eat a shish kebab now. No, you have ruined barbecues for me. Well, I guess I ruined it for myself, (laughs) but that metaphor definitely, uh, 
After death, the bodies were often left there as a warning to other people to not mess with the rulers. I'm probably going to pronounce number four wrong, but I believe it's called Ling Chi. K, the lingering death, and also death by a thousand cuts. And this is exactly what it sounds like again. A prisoner was put out in a public place, again tied to a rod of some sort, and then tiny pieces of their flesh were cut from their body. This did not only prolong the death, but it was believed at this time it was kind of done for like moral and religious purposes because it was believed that by severing the body part into tons of little pieces, their soul would not be able to reside in one place, basically damning them to a pretty brutal eternity. How do they even think about the soul factor of it? Well, do you know what time period this kind of was popular in? Was it the medieval times? Well, this was a common form of execution for a very long time. As recently as the 1900s. No way. In 1905, as part of the revisions of the Chinese Penal Code, Ling Chi was formally abolished as a criminal sentence. 1905. That feels so recent. This was a very long-running form of execution throughout history, which, think of little paper cuts. Death by a thousand cuts? Oh, it's awful. I would rather get a, like a deep cut than a paper cut. And that's what this almost sounds like because what I was reading, it sounds like there was upwards sometimes of 3,000 little cuts to the skin and tissue. And people usually didn't die from the cuts because they were so surface level. They oh. died from infection. Yeah, take my aorta. Just go ahead and rip it out. Yeah. Let's make this quick. I couldn't do an episode about torture and not talk about crucifixion. Crucifixion comes in at number three. I have mentioned in past episodes that I was brought up in a Christian household, Annie was too, in a Catholic household, mm -hmm. and the image of Jesus on a cross is something that has become sort of commonplace in my brain. I don't even associate it with trauma, with pain, with anything. I associate it in the religious terms as this like beautiful blessing, right? He saved our soul and all yep. this stuff. So it never really struck me how terrible the act of crucifixion might be until I did the research for this episode. So whether you are religious or not, we've all seen the paintings, stained glass windows, or know someone that has this image tattooed somewhere on their arm or chest. Yes. Or if you're like my family, you have a crucifix in every single room. There you go. <laughs> but have you ever stopped when seeing this image to think about how painful of an experience being nailed to a cross would be? Now I'm thinking about it, and that's horrible. Annie has her arms <laughs> stretched out. <laughs> and I'm just picturing, like, the big old nails just in the palms. We are going to dive deep into crucifixion because it is something that, like I said, I've seen this image my whole life, but never really thought of what it represented. Crucifixion was first introduced by the Babylonians, but carried on by many cultures in different countries, mainly the Persians and the Romans, which is what we're going to talk about in this episode. This horrible form of capital punishment was used as recently as the 20th century, if you can even believe that. So let's pretend you're a Roman in 1st century AD. You're a convicted criminal, you did something real naughty, and were sentenced to death. Or at least they accused you of something naughty, because in these days we did not have a jury of our peers deciding this, right? If you were a thief, something now we would not execute someone for, 
Well, you would be tied to the cross, which meant you might survive for numerous days until you passed away from sheer fatigue, respiratory failure, or starvation or dehydration. But what if you're a criminal that had done something worse or was at least accused of something worse? The morning of your execution, you would most likely be stripped naked, a way of publicly shaming you. Then you would be flogged and beaten by soldiers. So now you are naked and bleeding, and you would be tasked with carrying a horizontal beam or the entire cross itself to the place where you would be executed. This was always a public affair. So as you are, again, naked, bleeding, you're carrying either a giant beam that you're going to soon, you know when you reach your destination, you're going to be nailed to this thing. You are carrying it through the streets while people are mocking you, making fun of you, cheering on your, you know, your death, basically. So as you're paraded through a crowded street, there would be a sign attached to the cross with your name and your crime attached to this post. That way, the public knew exactly what you are being tried and convicted for, and they could use that as another tool to shame you. So imagine hundreds of people potentially calling out your name, ridiculing you. You're naked, which is already an embarrassing Mm -hmm. and vulnerable place to be in. And I'm sure that there was people that deserve a death like this. For sure. Yeah. But I think there was probably a mass amount more that didn't. This was done to bring not only shame on the convict, but a warning to others what the price for their crimes would be. According to a Guardian article by Alok Jha, it's J-H-A, so I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, things only got horrifically worse from here. Once you reach your destination, you would be laid out on the cross, arms and feet bound to the planks to keep you in place, while seven-inch nails were first driven between the two bones of the wrist. So if you're listening to this, you can touch your wrist and there's a soft spot in between those two bones. Yep. That is where the nails went in. We often see, you know, in depictions of Jesus, it being in his hands. That just uh, wasn't the case. It was almost always put in between those two bones and you'll see why. This would sever the median nerve, paralyzing the hands. So that way they couldn't hold on or grasp to the cross to help boost themselves up you were basically hanging there by those two small bones in your wrist. I want you to imagine how badly this would hurt. Your flesh is being hammered into with seven-inch nails between those two tiny little bones of the arm. Next, your legs would be bent to a 45-degree angle so that your feet would be flat against the cross. But before nailing the feet to the cross, you might have your legs broken just for good measure, so that you couldn't support your weight with your thighs in any manner. However, even if they didn't break your legs, between the extreme pain and muscle fatigue, we all remember doing wall sets during high school sports, right? Oh, yeah. I think my max was like five minutes, and my knees were quaking. My thighs were quaking. That's a long time, Elise. That's impressive. Well, I played volleyball. We were in that squatting position quite often. Yeah, true, true. But the muscles of your legs would have given out in just a few minutes anyway. There was no real need to break bones, but alas. Next, the cross would be hoisted upright. And this is where the true torture began. Because unlike hanging, how we think of it today as quite quick usually, crucifixion was anything but. 
First, if your legs were not broken, your natural instinct, or at least your body's natural instinct, would be to try to prop itself up, relieving pressure off the arms and the tiny bones of the wrists that were holding you at this point. But soon, like I said, your legs would give out, transferring the weight to your arms. Guys, this is where it gets even worse. Obviously, the tiny bones of the wrist are not meant to support the weight of the entire body, even though if you tell me to do a push-up, I, th- I might think that you're trying to get me to do this. Sorry, got to add a little laugh in there because yeah, this is going to get... Yeah, I need get... a laugh. I'm very Ooh. tense right now. My back's kind of like hurting. Yeah, my everything hurts while I was doing research for this. Obviously, the tiny bones of the wrist are not meant to support the weight of your entire body. So slowly, the body weight would pull on the shoulders, separating your shoulders from their sockets, followed shortly by separation of the elbows and wrists all being pulled from their joint sockets. At this point, your arms would actually become six or seven inches longer. Oh my gosh. Just because the separation and lengthening of muscle tissue, joints, and bone. Obviously, when your arms become that long and they're flaccid and nothing's connected to each other anymore, they can't support your weight in any way. So the weight of your body would be transferred to the chest. I want Annie and our listeners to take a deep breath here. Hold on. I'm going to count you in. We're going to inhale for a count of five, then hold that same breath for a count of five. I'm obviously not going to because I'm going to talk during it. I'll do it. I'm down. I'm going to count you in. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Go ahead and inhale. One, two. You feel your chest lifting. Four, (gasps) five. Now hold it. One, two, three, four, five. Now exhale. Wow. Did you feel that really full feeling, right? Yes. Yes. Would you have ever even thought that you could add more air to your chest at that point? No way. Well, that would be a very similar to what it felt like to be on the cross when your body weight was transferred to the chest because now the legs can't support you. Your arms can't support you. It would push your rib cage up and it would feel like you're taking a constant inhale without the relief of being able to release that breath. So you guys did this for five seconds in and holding it for five seconds. This could be the feeling for hours as your body is slowly suffocating. Like I said, suffocation would usually follow, but only after the lack of oxygen to the organs and blood vessels would cause the heart to have fluid leak into it and organs to begin to shut down. Usually this is why you were still conscious. I can't imagine being conscious during this. I think that would be like the worst part of it. Don't get me wrong, the body pain, but knowing in your mind what's happening, feeling everything so vividly. That deep breath exercise was so interesting to me because like, I didn't even think that about the suffocation piece of it because all your weight goes to your chest. That's intense. Right, because your arms and your feet can't support you anymore. They're all out of commission because they are flimsy and hanging loose six inches longer than they started out as just trying to carry the weight. And now what else do you have? You just have your torso to try to pull up and support the weight of your body. It is excruciating to think about this way of death. There is no doubt about it. Crucifixion was an intensely painful and prolonged way to die, taking anywhere from minutes to days, depending on the method. We talked in the beginning, if you were tried of a lesser crime, you might be tied to the cross, which would get you out of feeling the pain of the nails and the ripping of tissue, but you would also be slowly starving to death as well, which is pretty brutal. 
if you were nailed to a cross, it generally went a lot quicker because of how much pressure was put on the body. But not only are you in extreme, extreme physical agony during this time, you would again be taunted by a mob of people who have come to watch you die. Crucifixion was not only physically brutal, but psychological torture as well. As recently as 1997, guys, not that long ago. No, I was four. Well, I'm not going to tell you how old I was. In 1997, the UAE sentenced two murderers to death by crucifixion and then to be executed the following day. That sounds a little weird, but as time went on, crucifixion was part of the punishment and then they would take you off the cross and execute you in a quicker way. But it was mainly to show and tell the public, this is what you get if you commit these crimes. Thankfully, the government overturned this sentence and they were still killed and executed by firing squad. But obviously, that's a much quicker and more humane way of capital punishment. Isn't it crazy? We're calling a firing squad more humane, but like truly it is. But because here that we are. is just awful. Yeah. The mind thing is what's like, it's like a block for me. I can't get over that knowing you're going to die. Of to come. Yeah. It's still considered a possible method of execution in some countries, although it's not practiced very often. Like I said, it's usually more of a torture before the execution, even in this century. But generally in these cases, like I said, it's not how someone dies. They are a little bit more swift to end their life in more humane means, if you can even call it that. Mm-hmm. Before we go on to number two, I want to give an honorary mention, which is the wrong word to use and the wrong (laughs) phrase. I understand that on our list of torture because understanding what crucifixion did to the body was very similar to another one that I didn't think deserved its own spot because they kind of go hand in hand. This method was known as the rack. Prisoners' limbs were attached to a table with axles and levers at both ends. So instead of being vertical, you're horizontal. Okay. The leather strips or chains were bound to not only the hands and the feet, but to the axles. And the torturers would then rotate the axles to produce the same tension on the prisoner that you would get from a vertical crucifixion. This was done very slowly and painfully. Muscles, joints, and tendons would give away. Nerves would become exposed. And bones would absolutely just be shattered. And the pressure on the rib cage, like we did in that exercise for crucifixion, would eventually be the cause of death for the prisoner. So I felt like that one didn't need its own necessarily because they're very similar. One is just done vertically and one's done horizontally. Coming in at number two is the Roman candle. No, I'm not talking about fun, sparkly fireworks in the 4th of July but instead how humans were used as a lighting method for parties under Roman ruler Nero's rule. I can smell the burning flesh from here, and I Uh, never actually smelled it, but I just can picture this, like, horrible, horrible smell. You and I are on the same page because I talk about that. Nero hated Christians, and so he devised a way to create not only one of the most horrific torture methods to kill Christians— but also a way to add some inventive ambiance to his garden parties. Because what is a party without some mood lighting, right? (laughs) No way. He's not going to use humans. In July 64 AD, the Great Fire of Rome raged for nine days and destroyed two-thirds of the city. Nero blamed Christians for this, even though why? We're not quite sure. And set out to punish them. 
He took Christians prisoner, and if they did not renounce their faith after torture and imprisonment, many were sentenced to death by way of the Roman candle. To create Nero's mood lighting, or party ambiance, if you will, prisoner, usually only convicted for their religious beliefs, would be tied or nailed to a stake while naked, and then flammable liquids like pitch oil and wax, which both are, I mean, we've all lit a candle before. Wax is very slow to burn, smells lovely, scented, but this is not your typical candle. (laughs) These liquids were poured over the very much alive body of a prisoner, effectively making the human body that was tied or nailed to this wooden post the wick of this sadistic candle. The feet of the prisoner would be lit on fire, making sure to add longevity to their pain, creating the soft ambience Nero was looking for and prolonging the prisoner's death as it would take a while for the fire to reach any vital organs. Nero and Roman elites would be sipping their wine, eating their charcuterie, as humans would be slowly burning to death around them, screaming out in agony as they slowly succumb to the flames. That was my question. Were they vocally screaming or like, did they have stuff in their mouth? But so the music was the screaming. The ambiance was the lighting of the body. Not a party I'd want to go to. Please leave me out of your invite. I'm going to decline to RSVP. I do not want to be there. And I don't mean to be even more grotesque than this method of torture already is. But like Annie said, the smell, right? I remember going through cosmetology school and we were learning how to use a particular type of curling iron called a Marcel that took some practice. Let's just say that. (laughs) If you've gone to cosmetology school, you know what I'm talking about. But if you think of a curling iron, it has that spring clamp on it. A Marcel iron does not. So it's all done by hand. So you just take some practice. Just trust me on this. But as I was learning, I burnt the hair off my mannequin, and mannequins are made with human hair to practice on, and the scent of the human hair burning was so awful. If you can picture burnt popcorn and how it lingers for hours and hours, burnt hair, it's popcorn times, you know, infinity. (laughs) It's so gross. You cannot get the smell out. My clothes smelled like it. it was disgusting. So I can't imagine what it would be like to be at these parties and smelling flesh and hair burning all around you. It's so sick. So, so sick. Yeah, I would need a lot of wine to get through that. Wine? Aren't they I drinking need an wine? I IV of some hallucinogenic drugs <laughs> right. to so get me girl. through a party where people are burning around me. And I'm just supposed to be, what, enjoying and my night? And they're screaming. Yeah. I almost wonder if it was like a test of, are you a true supporter of me? Like, can you weather this storm that I'm creating for you? Like, how loyal are you? Maybe. But you think of like all of the, you know, and I'm not going down this rabbit hole, don't worry. But if you think of all the people that throughout history, they've talked about the elites and the most, you know, wealthy of the wealthy being involved with some pretty gross stuff. So true. So true. I can't think of things much grosser than this. I'm not, again, I am not going to your party, Nero. Please leave me out of your (laughs) nonsense. I will happily be poor and not invited. Thank you very, very much. Last but certainly not least on this list is scaphism or the milk and honey death. This is what I had found when I was researching for another episode, like I mentioned at the beginning. Oh my, I don't, I just don't have the words for how vile I think this is. The word scaphism comes from the Greek word 
scaffy, which means scooped or hollowed. And you will find out why this is the perfect title for this particular method of torture in just a minute. This torture method comes in first for me because of my own personal dislike for bugs and having a shy colon if you get my drift. We're going there? We oh, oh no. every, everything's oh. going there. In all orifices, we are going there. Again, we're going to go back in time. We're hanging out with the Persians. We're having a little boat day out on the water, although not the ocean, but instead swampy water. So for the sake of this image, let's just pretend we're out. The sun is beating down on us. Some of you are getting tan. I'm collecting freckles. And we're doing some (laughs) alligator watching. But then your Instagrammable moment is interrupted by a Persian soldier bringing out a prisoner, and it's announced he is sentenced to death by milk and honey. Um, what? Milk and honey sounds like a beautiful spa trademark. I called it first. Thank you very much. Where you're going to be put in a milk bath with rose petals and feel like queen for the day. But death by milk and honey is anything but relaxing. I love milk and honey. And this is going to ruin it for me, isn't it? Let's just say your tea might not be made the same anymore. First, the prisoner would be forced to ingest a massive amount of milk and honey. And then their body was covered in that honey. The prisoner was placed in a small wooden boat with another boat placed on top of them, almost creating a wooden cocoon, if that's easier for you to picture. Their head, legs, and arms were made to pop out of this makeshift cocoon. You know the phrase about attracting more bees with honey? Well, insects were drawn to the scent of this sweet smell, and slowly bugs of all types, rats, maggots, and worms, that were all found in this swampy area would make their way into the boat to get a taste of that sweet honey. To make matters worse, have you all heard of milk of magnesium? Yes. Well, we all know what that does. This also could be called death by laxative because before the bugs and rats could find their way in, the combination of milk and honey, especially in these extreme amounts, and you're not getting any solid food, would act as a laxative and to put it very Very nicely, there was a plentiful release of the bowels into the boat, only attracting more vermin. So you have the not-so-sweet smell of diarrhea, and then you have the sweet smell of the milk and the honey. So you are, at this point, attracting everything, and it's all stuck in this boat that you can't get out of because it has a top, and you are stuck in this. I want to know who thought of this. I want to have a talk with their mother. (laughs) (laughs) We're telling on you. Yeah. Every morning, the boat would be pulled to shore, and the prisoner would again be force-fed the milk and honey combination. Imagine for a minute, you're baking in the hot sun. If you're like me, I hate being hot. I'm an AC fan. Same. Your most vital organs are trapped inside an even hotter wooden coffin in the shape of this boat, and you are covered in a sticky substance as well as your own feces, and bugs and rats are starting to make their way into your boat nibbling on your body and because your legs and arms are outside of the boat you are powerless to push them away or defend yourself against them basically slowly eating you alive and because of the daily force feed your body is getting enough sugar and liquids to stay alive so this process is repeated for days or even several weeks every single day until you finally succumb to the infections 
and the bug and rat bites that you have now embedded themselves into your body and are gnawing away at your skin and tissue. I feel like at that point you're just begging for death. Oh, absolutely. I hate to say that, but like you're so like, just take me. I can't do this anymore. And like the feeling of the little and hearing it. And the, well, thank the buzzing. you for that sound effect, <laughs> Annie. <laughs> oh, Lord. I feel like this is also the inspiration for Fear Factor. Like someone on the Fear Factor team heard of this. They're like, okay, I'm going to make this show. We're going to test everyone's fears. Because I feel like there's a lot of bugs and weird stuff happening in Fear Factor. Not to this extreme. No, oh, they're not wrong. crawling inside no, your body. No. I'm sorry, but maggot. I'm not, I can't, I can't even go into it maggots creep me out they make me physically sick they reproduce so fast they're always laying eggs Uh, uh, oh something about eggs inside your body that aren't in your ovaries is really really (laughs) unappealing (laughs) oh my skin is literally crawling while discussing ghost pimples ghost pimples right i need another shower The prolonged and slow and very painful death and extreme heat, well, that is why I put this as number one. It is believed by some that one of the reasons the Persians did this method of torture was because while they did force feed the honey and milk mixture to the victim, they did not have to carry out the murder with their own hands. They let Mother Nature and the elements do the killing for them. Now, here's the thing. I don't buy that shit. No. I don't know if that's no. true. I don't pretend to know their religious or moral compass. But here's the thing. It is very hard to even conceive of the type of brain that would think up this torture method or any of the others on this list. It's almost as if every ruler or every king or whoever was in power at the time had this team instead of like the president has his cabinet members they have this team of sadists sitting around going yes king we've consulted with each other and come up with a new (laughs) method of torture that we think will really get the people talking this year they're like hear me out honey and milk hear me out and the king's like huh we're gonna let the bugs and the rats eat them like i'm sorry what the hell is wrong with these people Because, like I said, if I was a mom and you do something to my kids, I will bring every horrible thing down on you. Yes. I will mama bear that situation. I do not, absolutely not. I'm not waiting for police. You touch my child. I am touching you. Mm -hmm. You're done. For sure. I sound really tough, but also (laughs) I don't have kids, so you don't have to worry about me doing anything (laughs) illegal, guys. But my brain, I don't think even in the most horrific circumstances, could think of this stuff. Number one was well-deserved. Milk and honey. I mean, they were all horrible, but yeah, I don't, I don't know who thought to put that together. And now it's like an infamous form of torture. Yeah. I'm sorry if I've ruined your cup of tea. And if we have any, you know, people in Europe that listen to us, I know you love your cups of tea and I'm really, really sorry about that. (laughs) We want to hear from you guys. However, which of these torture methods do you think would be the worst? Please let us know on our Instagram at a case of the Sunday scaries. We are getting to the end of spooky season. We are just one week away from Halloween. And I hope you guys have enjoyed the extra content this month. And, you know, we took a little brief break from our normal true crime content, but it's not over just yet. We have some pretty incredible cases coming your way with a special Halloween episode premiering on the 31st to give you something to listen to while you get dressed up or after you are done trick-or-treating with the kiddos. Not kid-approved, so don't listen to it with them, please. (laughs) 
stay tuned because we will be announcing upcoming changes to the podcast that we really think you're going to love. And as always, thank you for listening and supporting our podcast by clicking follow or download on your favorite streaming devices or services. I will be back later this week for a quick mini episode before the Halloween craziness continues. But as always, until then. 